With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the to... Oscar goes to... Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your... I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me... Mr. Tibbs. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 37 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today, I have Kristen Lopez. Hello, everybody. Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. And for the first time ever on the show, joining us right now, you may have seen some of his work throughout the site. We have Mr. Josh Williams, everybody. Yay. Okay, so Josh. Yes. This is where we basically put you in the hot seat. We right. ask you some questions. We interrogate you. We make you feel uncomfortable. Okay, okay. You'll never, ever, ever want to come back. Okay, good. That was the plan. One and done. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I'll come out, uh, you know, big guns first here. Uh, favorite film of all time? Okay, favorite film of all time. Do you mean favorite the film that I think is the greatest film ever made or my favorite film to watch? Both. Okay, favorite film to watch is Richard Linklater's School of Rock. The film that I think is the greatest film ever made is David Fincher's The Social Network. Oh my god, great, great answers. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, man. Hey, you know what? While we're at it, Kristen, same question to you. Oh god, favorite film to watch would probably be like my girl probably <laughs> um greatest movie ever made is uh singing in the rain Ooh, all right mm, i like you even more Kristen. <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't know if i can agree with favorite film being my girl that, that movie's hard to watch like I, I think i've only made it through like once <laughs> that movie is um pretty much me in a nutshell aside from my 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 best friend who is a male is live so <laughs> that movie ruins me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I have not been able to success successfully get through another viewing of that film yeah, in my tried. adult life. Twenty fifth <laughs> anniversary of My Girl in November, so I am excited, and I also feel really old. If it gets a theatrical re release, I will attempt to watch it again. Oh, if it gets a theatrical re release, I'm so going. <laughs> <laughs> that and that and Lolita are having like twenty year anniversaries, and I've pretty much told everybody uh, my two favorite movies ever uh, are are turning. And turn in 20 in some form so excitement <laughs> awesome uh, how about you michael what do you got uh you know what Kristen sort of stole my thunder there but it was a good answer on her part uh i think for me my favorite movie to watch and what i also consider the greatest of all time is singing in the rain right on yeah that's uh that's such a good choice man that's such a good film oh you know it's interesting too i uh, i spent two hours yesterday reorganizing my blu-ray collection and I came across Singing in the Rain at one point uh, in there. And amongst the 571 other films that I own. Good God. And, it, yeah, I know. Um, I, 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 I have, like, 65 Criterion Collection films. I have, like, 41 films alone from 2016. Yeah, I, I have a problem. Congratulations. Yeah, right? Um, well, that's – like, it's so funny. I always tell my parents all the time because my parents think it's like, why do you do this? Like, why, 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 why? And I'm like, mom, dad, listen. Some people collect shoes, okay? Yeah. I know friends that have tons of shoes and I don't understand why. I have a library. 
<laughs> I ought to pass my collection off to you, Matt, because I'm at the point where I'm just ready to get rid of all of it. And I have so much that I just built up from like when I was in middle school and high school. And now I look at it and I'm like, why did I do this? <laughs> let's let's talk money later. Um, favorite film to watch from me is the Lord of the Rings movie trilogy. I think it's just perfect. Um, and the greatest film ever made is Apocalypse Now. I still to this day have no idea how Francis Ford Coppola before modern CGI was able to pull that movie off. Uh, it, it boggles my mind. You had the magic of Storaro on your side. I still need to see that movie. <laughs> oh, God, it's incredible. Especially considering the week I've had, I, I feel like I probably should have seen more Francis Ford Coppola movies. <laughs> One of my favorite lines from an Oscar opening, it was the year uh, Sophia was nominated for Lost in Translation and Billy Crystal's doing his opening monologue with the song. And he says, uh, he, Francis was in the audience and he says, uh, Francis had such a difficult task getting Brando to do, apocalypse, I can't talk, apocalypse now. Uh, but he finally woke Brando up with three magic words, key lime pie. <laughs> I remember that. That's fine. Oh, that man. always cracks me up. Uh, Josh, putting the focus back on you again. Oh, God. Favorite guilty pleasure? Ooh. Um, favorite guilty pleasure? I'm gonna have to go with The Fault in Our Stars. Oh, nope. We gotta kick him off because I can't. I can't. I can't. I fucking hate that movie. It was good to be on the show, guys. <laughs> Uh, see you on You did Twitter. say one and done, right? <laughs> yeah, one and done. <laughs> no, that movie is the bane of my existence. Well, Kristen, it's now your turn. Uh, I, I can't wait to see what I groan about right now. What do you got? Uh, Showgirls. <laughs> oh. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Showgirls is Showgirls horrible. is, oh my gosh, it's all oh, sorts of gaudy what the fuckery. I love that movie. <laughs> Showgirls is horrible. I own that on oh. Blu-ray. That is, uh, yeah, that's one of many guilty pleasures. Oh, my God. Showgirls Michael. is so bad. <laughs> uh, my guilty pleasure, uh, I really like John Huston's Annie. There is nothing wrong with that movie. There is nothing wrong with that movie. Michael, you and I are going to be best buds. <laughs> no, I I saw Annie late in life, which is weird. The version of Annie I only acknowledge is the Rob Marshall version. With uh, That's a terrific That's a great too. one. And so I hadn't seen the John Huston one, and so I watched it, and I couldn't deal with it. It's set in... They couldn't get snow, so it's set in the summer, and it irritated me. <laughs> I like how weird it is. I like that it ends with a helicopter oh chase. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that, like, that just is so strange to me, and I love it, that it comes from the Annie universe. It's awesome. The Annie cinematic universe. There we go. Uh, best guilty pleasure. Hmm. I'm going with Michael Bay, and I'm picking Armageddon. Yes. That's not a bad movie. What? It, it, it really is a bad movie, no, in my it isn't. opinion. That's the best Michael Bay movie out of them all. Oh, I don't know about that, but Michael Bay has some badass movies. Like, people rag on him quite a bit. Yeah. He's got some good movies. Bad Boys 1 and... I, I argue Bad Boys 1 and 2. I, I will say this. As a filmmaker, Michael Bay knows what he's doing. Uh, Absol like, absolutely. But... God almighty, the man can't judge a script to save his life. You don't like Armageddon? Oh, come on. Armageddon. No, 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 I do like Armageddon. That's why it's my favorite oh, okay, guilty okay. pleasure of all time. It's a great I just movie. I recognize the fact that it's an embarrassing movie to say that you like to certain my, circles. Michael Bay is one of those directors that I have to actively like tamp the bile down because his <laughs> his uh views of women are uh, a little less than savory so i'm one oh, of yeah, i'm one of those that watches them with the tacit knowledge that this movie is horrific to women and yet i cannot turn it off it's so entertaining <laughs> armageddon is a criterion that's right <laughs> i think oh he paid God, for the I privilege totally forgot about that yeah. Mind you, it only got the DVD release on Criterion. It never got the Blu-ray re-release, so... Yet. Just goes to show you that somebody was having an off day that day. Yet. Tomorrow they could announce a Blu-ray. You don't know. <laughs> oh, God. I'd be so happy if it's Armageddon. The, the, the Blu-ray community would be like, oh, that's such a waste of a release that month. <laughs> I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it just for you, Matt. I'll buy it and have it shipped to you. No, I'm tomorrow. loving this. I'm getting Michael's Blu-ray collection. I'm getting a Criterion release of Armageddon. This is the best podcast ever, guys. Okay, fan question here on Twitter from our very own, actually, Josh Tarpley7. Uh, Josh, you're going to be the first person to answer this question. I'm excited. 
I know this is going to be a weird question for the group, but I I think it's funny. Best movie to watch while getting swole. While getting swole? So like while working out? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't watch movies when I work out, but if I did... I know, that's why it's such a weird <laughs> question. Um, I've Any of the Rocky movies is a good pick. Ah, there you go. And then let's also go with The Incredible Hulk. Like the Edward Norton one? Let's go with Eric Bana. Okay. Oh, wait. <laughs> what? Ang Lee's The Hulk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. Sorry. Wow. Hey, that version's not terrible. No, it's pretty bad. Well, it's misguided. That's the word I'll use for it. It's pretty bad. But seeing Eric Bana Hulk out is pretty awesome. So yeah, I'd, I'd get pumped and start like lifting. <laughs> Kristen. I don't work out, so this question is uh, irrelevant to me. But hypothetically, though, <laughs> okay, all right. Let me let me rephrase it. Let me rephrase it. What's a movie that you can get amped to, like really, really hype while watching it? Oh my god, um, I, I don't know Armageddon. I have no answer. Fuck yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, there we go. We're just gonna say a Michael Bay movie because I have no good answer for this question. So pain and so pain and gain, obviously. Um, actually, I haven't seen Pain and Gain since it went to theaters, which is funny since I have the TV, the Blu-ray. Pain, Pain Again is the jam. It was fine. I remember it being fun. I just haven't watched it since it came out. So I'd actually like to change my answer to uh, Civil War because the airport fight scene, like I get goosebumps every time it comes on. There you go. Uh, Schwartz? Okay, so this is going to be a really weird answer. Oh, boy. It's all that jazz. No, no, no. Hey, that's hey. That's a great movie no. to do cocaine to. Don't you dare talk trash about that movie. <laughs> No, so ninety nine percent of the time when I'm at the gym, I'm watching Seinfeld. That's it's awesome. Like on every channel, right? Yeah. But if I ever bring my iPad, which I do sometimes, and I'm on the treadmill and I just want to watch something, I've actually done this more than once. I watch uh, Blue Jasmine. Oh, oh, oh with Kate Blanchett, yeah. Yes, just because that's not because it has anything to do with the workout whatsoever. It's just I love that movie and her performance so much, and I could watch it endlessly on repeat over and over again. Fair enough. So it's like when I'm at the gym and want to just watch something that I don't have to pay 100% attention to, I'll turn that on. She is quite amazing in it, so. Ah, I can I, I can probably say with certainty, and I know that this is like maybe, I don't know, maybe this is a boring pick, but there is something about Mad Max Fury Road that ooh, when I watch it... Ooh. <laughs> I am just so into it. It is ridiculous how into it I get. Yeah, it's great. I was th- there was one time I was watching it at my house, and I think it was like maybe, geez, I don't know, like the ninth time I'd seen it, and I just like started getting up out of my chair, and I'm just like physically like just you know <laughs> moving and getting into it and swinging around and doing all this crazy shit. And I, I then I just started freaking out. And I just started turning to my friends, and I'm like, "This is the greatest action movie I've ever seen in my life." Ah. That's how I am when I watch Chicago. Sometimes, yeah, <laughs> I'm just so into it. It's bizarre. There you go. There you go. Um, like I, I'll, I'll equate it to something else that maybe a lot of people have experienced recently. I'm not sure if anybody else uh, experienced this, but uh, everyone here saw Get Out, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Did everybody else have like a very physical, very intense reaction to that movie? Like they were shouting at the screen, pretty oh, much. Yeah. There was a lady in my row that was like, lo- she was like clapping as it was going. She's like, "Yay!" It was great. yeah. I, <laughs> I have not seen audience participation like that high for a film in ages. It was insane. I wasn't shouting, but I was definitely squirming. I saw it twice, and even the second time, there was one scene I had to look away from the screen, and cover my eyes. It was just too much for me at oh, one man. point. I get stoked watching that movie, for sure. Uh, all right, Josh. Oh, God. Last question. Okay. <laughs> Do your absolute best to pitch us a movie you think we've never heard of. Okay. Ooh. I actually have the... I'm looking at the DVD box right now, and I'm going to guarantee nobody's ever seen it. Okay. So... Uh, six lifelong friends um, reunite for a wedding and they spend their time hanging out um, till the late hours of the evening in uh, Baltimore in I think the 60s. Alright, so it's not American Wedding. Got it. No. 
Baltimore in the 60s. I think it's in the 60s. Let me see. It's in Baltimore for sure. Ooh, yeah, so 1959. Jesus. Yeah. I don't know. What the hell is this? The movie's in the 80s. The movie's made in the 80s, but it's set in 1959 Baltimore. Anybody got anything? And no Googling. The only thing I can think of is hairspray, and that's probably wrong. (laughs) I think I know what it is. I'm excited. Uh Uh-oh. Can I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Is it Diner? Oh, you motherfucker! Yes, it is! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's that's so funny. That is fantastic. Diner is diner is a gem among Barry Levinson. Yep. If you haven't seen Diner, you need to see it as soon as possible. All right. All right. I am writing that one down. That's a good one. I like Barry Levinson on a certain stage, depending on the film. It's the all star cast: Steve Gutenberg, Daniel Stern, Mickey Rourke, Kevin Bacon, Timothy Daly. It's everybody. That is that is awesome. Uh, That is a great recommendation. I thank you for that. I thank you for that. That's a really good movie. Very kindly. Alrighty, uh, let's move over into our next segment here, which will be uh, news of the week. First of all, Josh, thank you so much for surviving our uh, little bit of hazing there, and welcome aboard. We're very, very happy to have you. Very glad to be on board. Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at InsessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. Alrighty, so first news of the week here. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow, the Doug Lyman film uh, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt is getting a sequel. Uh, apparently, Emily Blunt is officially signed back on uh, with Tom Cruise. It's going to become like a scheduling thing, I suppose, uh, as to when they will be able to get him back. But apparently... The story is a sequel, and it's also a prequel, because as uh, most of you know that have seen the film, it deals mostly with time. So that's very interesting. And Doug Lyman is really, really, really excited about this film. He said that he would only come back to make a sequel if the story really, really interested him. And he thinks that they found something uh, very perfect here that is going to revolutionize how people watch sequels. Uh, this story, uh, or the title rather, is apparently Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. That's the worst title I've ever heard. Recently. <laughs> I agree. Recently. I agree. That's, but I do like time. the first film quite a bit, actually. So what do we think about this? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm just surprised that it's happening. Yeah. Because the first one wasn't that big of a hit with the box office. I know critics liked it, but it didn't really find its crowd. I think they think maybe the film has found its crowd maybe on video. Possibly. You know, I saw a funny tweet yesterday. Someone said they should just release the original one again. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. (laughs) Yeah, the original one, I saw it in theaters, and it was completely empty. Nobody else was there. And two things came to my mind. One... This is really, really sad um, that nobody is watching this movie. Um, Out of all the summer blockbuster films that you could possibly watch, nobody's watching this one. Why? Uh, And two, Emily Blunt is badass. Yeah, Emily Blunt's awesome. Like, uh, you know, I was thinking of um, she she just had just come out with Looper, I think, before this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she was badass in that. And then she has this. And in this movie, she's like full blown gung ho badass. Yeah. So much so that she steals the movie from Tom Cruise. Yeah. She's the highlight of the movie. Definitely. And Tom Cruise, let's uh, give him some credit there. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's playing along and enjoys being killed over and over again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise has had some stellar releases over the past couple of years. <laughs> and then some not-so-stellar ones. Hey, watch it. <laughs> so we have a Tom Cruise apologist on the show, everybody. 
I like Tom Cruise movies. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I agree. I, I agree until, um, you know, until The Mummy, that is. Oh, the I keep forgetting that exists. I'm on board for the mummy. I am. I refuse to acknowledge that movie's existence. I, I'm with Kristen on this. I'm, on, I'm can't. on board. I'm on board for the mummy. Sign me up. No way. All right. Uh, we have some other bit of news here. Uh, there was a second trailer for Blade Runner 2049 that <sighs> released on the internet today. <sighs> uh, gorgeous. Absolutely Beautiful. gorgeous. Stunning. Roger Deakins better win that freaking Oscar. Yes, he should. That man has been nominated so many times. I'm not going to make any declarations until I see any or everything else this year, but yeah, it does look pretty stellar, the work he's doing here. That man has been nominated against himself and still lost. Well. How? Does, how does that happen? <laughs> yeah. Uh, vote splitting, apparently. Duh, God. He was robbed of a nomination last year for Hail Caesar. <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> Going blank? Uh-oh. I don't, know. I don't know. And Kristen, I think you liked Hail Caesar too. And you, do you do you agree? I, I enjoy Hail Caesar, but I knew it wasn't ever going to get nominated. <laughs> There's just so many stellar releases so last year. There's no way it could have, you know, been up with some of the others. Actually, to tell you the truth, I I would take 2016's. I'm sorry, 2015's lineup over 2016 for cinematography any day of the week. You're insane. Oh no, I'm sorry. Carol, The Revenant, Mad Max Fury Road, Sicario. Come on. You're insane. Nah. <laughs> Last year's nominees were gorgeous. Well, it looks like Roger Deakins is really painting a narrative for himself to win his first Oscar. Another Oscarless person, though, um, that might have a narrative, might not. We don't know necessarily. Uh, James Newton Howard uh, has now been uh, hired to score Catherine Bigelow's film Detroit. Ooh. Now, Detroit does have some buzz attributed towards it. It could potentially be a player um that august release hurts it a little bit um although we've seen that you know films that get released around that august september october period are the ones that are tending to do well with the oscars um so who knows you know this could be the hell or high water of this year for all we know i i have no idea but in any event though um do we ever think someone like james newton howard is ever going to get an oscar (laughs) You know, he works so much. He really has a lot on his plate. And I feel like the fact that he has so much, it's almost like when he puts out work, it's just, it's fine, but it doesn't always stick out. Anyone agree? I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing like, he never has anything spectacular, I don't think. I think the best thing he did recently was maybe Nightcrawler. But oh, yeah, yeah. Aside from that, nothing else that really stayed. It's not like John Williams, where you have yeah. someone who's working for like a year on one thing. Yeah. Well, and even in like with Nightcrawler, like it doesn't even stand out. You know, he's he's just seems to be like a middle of the ground kind of composer. Even um, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, that that should be like a, you know, a composer's wet dream right there. Yeah. But yet it's well, that, it's uh, fine. That sequence when they go into the luggage is pretty spectacular with its score. But other than that, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything like that pops out. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right. Other bit of news. Russell Crowe, David Oyelowo, uh, they're going to be eyeing Clarence Darrow's uh, movie called Arc of Justice. It is based on uh, Clarence Darrow's groundbreaking civil rights cases. The Scopes um, Monkey Trial. Yeah, right? So this is a story that I think recently broke uh, by Variety. It's based on Kevin Boyle's book, uh, like I said, Arc of Justice, a saga of race, civil rights, and murder in the jazz age. And the true story centers on a racial incident in 1925 Detroit that put African-American doctor Ossian Sweet, played by uh, by David Oyelowo, on the stand for murder. His defense was funded by uh, the Nascent National Association for the Advancement of Colored People and led by Darrow, who will be played by Russell Crowe. What do we think about this project here? Russell Crowe and David Oyelowo sharing the screen together. So I guess it's a prequel to Inherit the Wind, which came out in 1960. That was about, as I said, the Scopes Monkey Trial, which was a huge case in terms of... uh, how we understand like evolution and how it should be taught in school. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's just taking the Clarence Darrow character, who was a real person, of course. He was fictionalized in uh, the 1960 movie. But I guess it's just taking that figure and talking about other cases he was involved in. Mm. 
So this could be very interesting. It sounds like a very socially relevant film, which we're always looking forward these days. And a great cast. We'll see. I'm interested to hear more. You know, Russell Crowe, in my opinion, had one of the best runs uh, that any actor I've ever seen in my lifetime has had. Uh, from 1999, 2000, 2001, really everything below, I think, 2005. But when he had that three-year stretch of The Insider, Gladiator, and A Beautiful Mind, my God. Yeah, that's a, that's one of the best right there, for sure. And then he picked up a phone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he needed he needed to have something, considering that Meg Ryan lost her career mm. over him. So. Yeah. You know, I was listening uh. to a podcast a few years ago, back when uh, Les Mis was coming out. And people were speculating, oh, could he get nominated? This is before anyone saw the film, so <laughs> yeah. you'll understand why. But uh, they were saying, think back to like Master and Commander, when that movie got something like 13 Oscar nominations. It's like everyone got the nominations, including like the ship crew, the caterers, <laughs> everyone got a nomination, except the Master and Commander. Yep. That also sounds like something that Billy Crystal said at the Oscars, I feel like. <laughs> I don't remember who said it. I think it was a podcast somewhere, but that just stuck with me that everyone loves the movies he's in for the most part, but after that incident, no one wants to touch him. To your point, though, even films that he didn't get a nomination for, like that, like Cinderella Man, um, or um, I really like him in 310 to Yuma a lot. Uh, I thought he was really phenomenal in that. You got it on the list. There's like American Gangster, uh, Les Miserables. Obviously, that wasn't going to happen. But no. The but there, there's just been like a nomination. recent like string of performances where um, I'm like, Crow, you're so close. You're like you're so close into tapping into something that can get you back to the to the to the theater again, you know, and get you that Oscar nomination. But it just doesn't ever really seem to click. And then he does something like The Nice Guys, which is like the most enjoyable role I've seen him in in years. And that's not Oscar fair. So there you go. Yeah. You know, you could see like, for example, like in something like Noah, like you could see like he's really trying. Yeah. Uh, but it's just not, you know, it's not clicking. It's 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 just Noah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, uh, that's not going to get you an Oscar nomination. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, that movie was a snooze fest. Yep. Yeah. That's all right. Darren Aronofsky comes back this year and he's going to be a gem. So. Oh, yeah. We're all going to be like pretty much praising him all over again, yeah, I'm so sure. It'll be, it'll be easy. <laughs> he yeah. comes back with the Pfeiffer songs. <laughs> oh, please, God, make this happen. Please. The Pfeiffer songs would be incredible. Which starts next week, by the way, with The Wizard of Lies on HBO. So stay tuned for that. Really excited about that, by the way. Barry Levinson as well. He's directing that. I just want to see also, too, uh, going back to actors and actresses that I just want to see return to form of glory. Robert De Niro, man. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like he gets his Oscar nomination for Silver Linings Playbook, Playbook, and I thank the cinema gods that he's back in our good graces again, critically speaking. And then Dirty Grandpa, the comedian, and it's like, what is happening? Oh, yeah, for sure. Bobby. He just needs to do something serious. He needs to pull a Nicholson. He's got to go in retirement and then come out for a remake. He has a family. He has younger kids. He just wants to go off and yeah. get a paycheck. <laughs> By the way, I love that we all think that the remake of Tony Ehrman is going to land Jack Nicholson another nomination. <laughs> I, no I don't one... think it will, but like the world is so excited for him to come back. Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, another trailer, which we're not going to really go into too much discussion about here because we still have two other trailers to discuss um, that we haven't discussed on the show before. But uh, the second Dunkirk trailer uh, was released. And in my opinion, it's a big improvement over the first one. Uh, very large improvement. I, I can really see what Nolan is going for in terms of not doing a straight rated R war film and instead making a PG-13 and focusing much more on the uh, intensity, the suspense and the psychological uh, aspects of the fact that these guys are pretty much fish in a barrel. Yeah. You know? So, that that's probably going to make for what I think might be one of the more unique cinematic uh, experiences this year. Yeah. Uh, question for everybody. Would you or would you not be pissed off if Hoyt Van Hoytema uh, got the Oscar over Roger Deakins? I'd be very pissed off, yep. I'd want to see both films first. Nope. I'd probably just be meh on either. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be angry. I'll be in the streets, like, protesting. 
for the record, I will not be mad if Roger Deakins wins. I will be, I, I will throw confetti in the air. I will be so be happy. the happiest person on the planet. Yeah, that'll be like that'll be like Kevin O'Connell winning this year for Hacksaw Ridge. I was just going to say, if Roger Deakins wants to win an Oscar, he should hire Kevin O'Connell as his campaign manager. <laughs> Basically. Uh, he should do a podcast with us. Roger, if you're listening, uh, we'd love to have you on. It worked for, it worked for Kevin, just throwing yeah. it out there. <laughs> He's great to listen to talk and to listen to. Like So many of his interviews are so interesting. Yeah, definitely. Well, he's got a career chock full of uh, some very, very interesting yeah. choices that he's made throughout his career. Very yeah. interesting people to work with. Uh, there's a lot of really great stuff there. Speaking of great stuff, uh, this question comes from Kenny Miles on Twitter, at the Kenny Miles, a uh, friend of the podcast. And the question that he has for us here, and this is one I haven't really had a chance to really give much thought to, but here goes nothing. Which documentary features do you think are going to be Oscar contenders? Oh, boy. It's only May. I haven't even thought about it yet. I don't think I've seen a 2017 documentary yet. <laughs> well, you know what? The only one I've really heard talked about, and I really don't see this going to the Oscars, is uh, the Lara Poitras uh, Julian Assange film. Oh, yeah. She finished a year ago, and then as the election happened and he came back into the news, she went back to film more and then re-edited the film, and it has a totally new perspective about how to use him now, apparently. Like, at first it was sympathetic, and now it makes him out to be this uh, mysterious villain of sorts. And apparently they're not happy with each other because yeah. of it at all. I could see I Am Heath Ledger getting a little bit of buzz, but I don't know about carrying all the way to, like, Oscar nominations. Considering it's premiering on TV, I think that would, yeah. wouldn't work with new Academy rules. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah, well, for a while we were talking about Five Came Back, but now that's not eligible. Yeah. Yep, that's done. Um... You know, I did see something recently. Uh, I, I, it was just um, a trailer. I didn't get a chance to read up on it. But there is this uh, documentary coming about uh, about uh, film composers and scoring. Uh, and apparently there's like interviews with all different composers, John Debney, uh, John Williams. Uh, there's, there's a lot of really, really good stuff in there uh, from what I saw. So I don't know if something like that can be a thing. You know, I know... It's interesting. Hollywood seems to really like feature movies about themselves, but I don't really often see documentaries about Hollywood ever really getting the uh, the limelight. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, what's the other documentary that I've been hearing a lot of buzz about too? Um, it's about ISIS. Um, God, I can't remember what the heck it's called, but it's I think it's just I think it's called just the rise of ISIS or something like that. Um, and it's made by the guys that did. Uh, uh, Restrepo? Is that what is that what it was called? That sounds familiar. I don't know the 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 war documentary. Oh my gosh! Hold on. Now I'm gonna have to. <laughs> Wasn't Restrepo the one where the director died? After? Yes, yes, yes. That's the one. Mm-hmm. So it's by the same uh, by the same guy who is still alive. Um, that did that. He went on to do this now. Apparently. Okay. Yes, I did hear about that. I think Ann Thompson was talking about it on her podcast last week. Yeah, uh, what the heck is his name? Sebastian something. I think it's Sebastian like Younger or something like that. Um, but he's got, yeah, this film that apparently is coming out that um, is supposedly getting a lot, a lot of traction right now. It's getting a lot of attention on itself. So, I don't know. We'll see. I've heard very good things about this one that just opened called uh, Citizen Jane about a okay. woman named Jane Jacobs, uh, the visionary activist and writer who fought to preserve urban communities in the face of destructive development projects. Citizen Jane is a timely tale of what can happen when engaged citizens fight the power for the sake of a better world. So, uh, talk about timely. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> Seriously. That could be something. That just opened, so it's probably in the art house theaters right now. You know what, Josh? Here's a good question to ask you. Okay, I'm ready. What do you think is winning Best Picture? What do you, uh, what's going to win? Yep. Oh, good God. Um, just based off of personal picks and what, um, the limited amount that I've looked at so far, I think Detroit has a really big shot. You know what? I am in the exact same boat as you. Yeah, I think it's, it's really, it's very timely and it's very got the political message and Bigelow's won before, so... I mean, and even if Bigelow doesn't win, the, the Academy does love Bigelow. So, I mean, right now, 
you know, D- Detroit seems to be in the lead mm. for me. I bet you, Michael, has your answer to this changed since the last time I asked the question? La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> You're still going for that revisionist history, aren't you? You know what? Last time we talked about this, I said The Post, or whatever it's going to be called. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really hasn't changed because I haven't seen much development, and I know that has a December release, which hurts it as we've seen lately. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, until we learn more, I'm just going to stick with that because it's relevant movie. Everyone loves the people attached to it. It just screams Oscar bait. God, I hope PTA doesn't fall victim to the silence and Patterson treatment. Oh God, I will cry. Kristen, yes. Has your predicted winner for the Oscars? Changed I have at all? no predictions yet. So we will uh, we will hear mine when I actually come up with them. <laughs> is the Beguile going to be a Best Picture contender in your opinion, or is it going to just be genre fair? I have no faith in the Academy that they're going to recognize recognize something much. like this. Yeah, I hope she gets a uh, You know what? I, I think that we are getting closer though with horror. Um, and I'm not even sure if that's the right way to explain the beguile, but based upon the marketing, no, um, no. you know, maybe maybe horror is not the right word. Maybe let's just go with like thriller. Yeah, well, yeah. The original film is <laughs> a horror film for men in the 70s. Like that's how yeah. it's perpetuated. The so so it's get so it's get out from males uh, of all kinds. Pretty much, yeah, because it came out in seventy one. Second wave feminism started about seventy seven, and it's essentially Clint Eastwood telling everybody how hot his dick is. Um, yeah. I'm not kidding. That's the whole movie. Um, yeah. So I mean, the the marketing is very much skewed to what I'm assuming the marketing of the original film was. Well, I mean, because when I watch the marketing for this film, I get a very like gothic. Um, style yeah and like a, she she like was a, you know, she's talked she she talked about how heavily influenced in the southern gothic and and i mentioned you know faulkner and a couple other writers so she's definitely into the aesthetics of that kind of melodramatic um deeper meaning to everything okay well you know what i would really really like to see the day where the academy biasness towards certain genre there can totally be just over with. If it's one of the best films of the year, it's one of the best films of the year. And we've kind of seen that make progress over the last couple of years with uh, Mad Max Fury Road, with Arrival last year. Um, Even though I, even though this is kind of, you know, those two films are very prestige in a way. I would like to see, you know, and I I don't think this is going to happen necessarily, but like for, I'll give an example. I'd like to see It Comes at Night you know, be talked about as a player. Yeah, me too. Well, it's, it's interesting because I've been re-watching Sophia's films um, for a project, and it's funny that, you know, most, I think Lost in Translation is the one most people would point out as the film they notice, yeah. and that's predominantly the main one that has a male count, uh, lead. The other ones don't. So I think that says a lot right there that... Um, predominantly since the academy is still predominantly male um they're they're going with what they know they're going with what they identify with and right. that's a, that's a shame you know it's like when Catherine bigelow won everybody thought like a door had been broken down and it's like nope not really no um, Catherine bigelow makes movies for you know that that men find men. enjoyable exactly um and that's great i mean i'm i'm all for women breaking down barriers and being able to make male films that that you know they don't have to be stuck in female genres but um yeah, yeah i i'm still waiting for my nora like my nora efron-esque romantic comedy you know what i mean to to get in is what i'm kind of waiting for in a way speaking of uh, women in cinema i hope uh, lynn ramsey gets some recognition by the end of the year like i want lynn Ram- i want lynn, Ram- lynn ramsey to get noticed for sure wait 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 lynn ramsey's doing which film? Oh, God. The it's one with, uh, with Walking Wa- Phoenix. Yeah, I can't remember the name, but it's with Walking Phoenix. Okay, that's right. Yeah, she does. She does. We need to talk about Kevin and Ratcatcher, and she's fucking amazing. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, we need to talk about Kevin is. Oh, my God. That movie's it's amazing. Incredible. Yeah. Here, let me see. We'll find the name of her next one. I just saw a quote last week posted from uh, Barbara Streisand when she was talking about. Uh, well, it started with her talking about the election and how she thought sexism played a role in it. And then she was talking about uh, 
how she thinks her films that she directed, uh, how they were viewed by the Academy. And she said she thinks there was some sexism at play there, which I'm sure there was. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. How she didn't get a Best Director nomination while her film got a Best Picture. She should have gotten a Best Director nomination. Absolutely. Lynn Ramsey's next film that's at Cannes is uh, You Were Never Really Here. And it's a war veteran's attempt to save a young girl from a sex trafficking ring goes horribly wrong. Well, that sounds light. <laughs> it sounds like a Lynn, it sounds like it sounds like a Lynn Ramsey thing. You know? Her movies are yeah, right. Her movies who are, are the uh, who are the leads? Uh, it's Joaquin Phoenix and, and who else? The woman is. Give me a sec. Say Rooney Mara and I'll die. No, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> it's um. I know I'm going to pronounce her first name wrong. Um, and maybe her whole name Ekaterina Samsonov. Samsonov. Yep. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> uh, she's the lead, and then um. Also, Alessandro Nivola. Nice. Also in The Wizard of Lies. This is like sponsored by HBO this week. Yeah. <laughs> it's based off of the novel by Jonathan Ames. All right. Well, moving on. Uh, we've got two trailers to talk about here. So let's dive into the first one. Uh, this is a film that premiered at Sundance. Uh, was a big hit. Uh, recently uh, purchased by Amazon and is being distributed by Lionsgate. It is directed by Michael Showalter and stars Kumail Nanjiani. And it is called The Big Sick. Let's check this one out. This was fun. Wait, we haven't had sex again yet. I'm just not that kind of girl. I only have sex once on the first date. I'm just gonna <laughs> call an Uber. Your driver will be ready as soon as he puts on his pants. Watch and learn, bye. Oh, class. I have to tell you something, bye. I've been dating this girl. She's white. A white girl? Hey, you can't look like you and me, a white girl. It's okay. We hate terrorists. I wonder who that could be. I'm guessing it's a young, single Pakistani woman. This is Zubeda. For your files, your X-Files. That's your favorite show, huh? The truth is out there. <laughs> Are you judging Pakistan's next top model? You know how we have arranged marriage in my culture? Oh my god, I'm so stupid. Can you imagine a world in which we end up together? I don't know. I'm looking for Emily Gardner. She was checked in tonight. There's an infection. We put her in a medically induced coma. Coma. You should call her family. Thank you, Kamala. We're gonna handle things from here. I think I'm just gonna wait anyway. You guys broke up. I'm not sure why you're here. I'm just gonna stay for a second. Is this seat? Okay. Is that lady still looking at me? So, uh, 9-11. I've always wanted to have a conversation with people. You've never talked to people about 9-11? Do anything, you got to call the games. No, I you play it. You can't rhyme it. You try to find a word that nobody can rhyme. Okay. And Stonehenge. Yeah, see, you would win. Yeah. I think I screwed up with your daughter. Yeah, you did. Let me give you some advice, Kamal. Love isn't easy. That's why they call it love. To get the hang on. I thought I could just start saying something and something small would come out. All right. Thoughts? This looks terrific. <laughs> I agree. So great. I, I actually watched the uh, trailer a couple of times because I found the jokes in the trailer to already have like that deadpan uh, sort of humor that I really, really like in these in these kinds of films. I I just like for example that one that one brief moment like with him and Ray Romano when he's like you know I've always wanted to um you know talk to people about 9/11 and he just like you've always wanted to talk to people about 9/11 <laughs> like, <laughs> like stuff like that or just like the thing when they're doing like the rhyming thing about Stonehenge and like I think Ray Romano just looks hysterical in this movie you know yeah, he and Holly Hunter look very good. Yeah. And I remember a few months ago when we were talking about Sundance, uh, remember we had Eric on the podcast, Matt? Yeah. And he was saying, uh, 
Holly Hunter was someone we should maybe look for in the award season. Oh, wouldn't that be something great? Yeah, and now that I see what the movie's about, because, you know, after the festivals, people talk about it, but you don't really always get what the movie's about. I knew it was some somebody was in a coma. I thought Holly Hunter's character was in the coma. Oh. So uh, now that I see who her character is, as uh, the mother of uh, Zoe Kazan's character. So there could be some stuff for her to work with. Uh, Ray Romano, you know, I love Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah. And uh, so it's nice to see him doing stuff like that. This just looks like a smart comedy and that's what i love to see we don't get nearly enough of them you know um a lot of people were saying out of sundance that this film could really be the surprise best picture nominee of the year also could contend in something like screenplay um i can say this the way that this film is being marketed through this trailer is very traditional every beat and every uh, moment of this trailer is a way that you've seen hundreds of other movies marketed before. Yeah. But yet there still also seems to be something um, special about this material. I, I'm not sure if it's – maybe it's just it, it because you know it comes from the heart because it is based on uh, Kumail's uh, true story of him and his wife's uh, relationship uh, and their marriage ultimately. You know, I think I think maybe that's what's uh, making it stand out to me. You know what? Could I make a comparison? Sure. This reminds me a lot of Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, that's not good. In that it's a festival hit. Oh, well, Kristen, we're going to have a problem there because it's one of my favorite movies of the last five years. No, I vote, I'm with Kristen. Silver Linings oh. Playbook is awful. <laughs> and I'm also a little biased because it was filmed down the street from my house, but I also think it's a terrific movie. Aside from that, though, uh, the, I'm making the comparison in that it's a festival hit romantic comedy that has a prestige element attached to it that it's going to start off small in a limited release and slowly grow by word of mouth it's going to have a bigger release in the middle of the summer. And people will talk this up. It's going to have the box office, hopefully. And then we'll see where it goes in terms of the awards race. But I think Amazon knows exactly what they're doing here. They had tremendous success with Manchester by the Sea. And I think they're just going to be very careful in marketing this until people start to realize what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of potential. And I agree with Matt. The marketing is very familiar just watching the trailer. It- it feels like every other romantic comedy I've ever seen before, but it definitely does uh, have a different vibe that it brings to the table. So, I mean, I'm excited to see it, and I wouldn't be shocked if it carried all the way to the awards season. I mean, it's got a lot of potential, and everybody seems to love it coming out of Sundance. So, I mean, why not, right? Definitely Golden Globes, I would think. Definitely also a uh, WGA nomination I could foresee. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. They tend to really go for Apatow Productions, I, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, Judd Apatow is the executive producer, and... Uh, you know, his films, I know some people complain that they tend to be long. This is two hours and five minutes, so I feel like your comedy is a little longer yeah, than usual. Long. Uh, this could be for you. Uh, but you know, as we've seen in movies like Trainwreck and This is 40, he, it's they're, they're very funny movies, but they also have another layer to it that really completes it, in my opinion. Yeah, this looks very, like, human-oriented, which makes me yeah, excited. Yeah, the human comedy. Yeah, yeah. Human New York comedy, especially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was the only one, I guess, who thought that, A, it totally spoiled things, and if it didn't spoil things, then now that I know that it's based on a true story and they end up together in the end, I'm like, oh, okay, well, then I already know how this goes. Yeah, but that's not why we watch movies, though. Yeah, David Ulrich has an interesting uh, article about that, about how if you can spoil something that's based on a true story. Hmm. I'll have to, uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to read that. I, I'm I'm always interested in that though because like for example, I and I always use I always use this. Um, Argo, Lincoln, and Zero Dark Thirty all came out the same year, and I knew how all three of them ended, and they yeah. all still made my top ten. Yeah. Ooh, only one of those made my top ten. Uh, can I take a guess as to which one? I think it's probably Zero Dark Thirty. No, it was Argo. <laughs> Damn it! Oh. The best film of the decade didn't even make your top ten list that year. <sighs> which is Lincoln. Lincoln, I thought was boring. Oh, um, Kristen, you're killing me, Kristen. In the right tech, she's not wrong. Lincoln is very boring, but you have to totally be interested in like what it's about, <laughs> or you're not gonna like it. <laughs> I I love Lincoln personally. I really I mean, do. and and this this is this is directed by Michael Showalter, who outside of Wet Hot American Summer, I haven't liked anything else that he's. You didn't like Hello, in. My Name Is Doris. 
Oh, he did do that, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Okay, well, as long as he's not writing, then maybe we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I am in agreement with that, and he didn't, so I think we'll be all right, because I, I too, had a little bit of an issue with the uh, the way that film went. Um, and do we all like Kumail Nanjiani? Oh, I, I do, definitely. He's very funny, and I love when he hosted uh, the Spirit Awards last year with Kate McKinnon. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen that video, go to YouTube and watch no, it. No, he's, yeah, he's hilarious. Yeah. And I don't even watch Silicon Valley anymore, but when I did, he was always the standout. Him and, uh, you know, uh, the other guy who I'm blanking on. The weird guy. TJ Miller. I was going to say, which one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I know what you're talking about. Um, all right, let's move over to a trailer, which I'm sure we're all probably a little less enthusiastic for. Uh, and that is the summer blockbuster film, called The Dark Tower, based on Stephen King's book, starring Uh. Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. Let's check this one out. For thousands of generations, the gunslingers were knights. Sworn to protect us from the coming of the dark. These visions, as you call them. What do you see? I see a tower. A man in black. And the gunslinger. They're just dreams. They're not real, Jake. There's another world out there. I know there is. Who are you? It's you. You're a gunslinger, right? There are no gunslingers. Not anymore. Why does the man in black want to destroy the tower? The tower protects both our worlds. If it falls, hell will be unleashed. He's like the devil, isn't he? No, he's worse. You can't stop what's coming. Death always wins. Your world might be gone, but mine isn't. You let that tower fall, Billions of people die. Do they have guns and bullets in your world? You're gonna like Earth a lot. All right, let's go. You clawing your way out of the darkness? Did you tell the kid whoever walks with you dies by my hand? I will kill him for both of us. I do not aim at my hand. His hand has forgotten the face of his father. I aim with my eye. I do not shoot with my hand. I shoot with my mind. Jake! I do not kill with my gun. Vault. Yeah. Considering the hype that was around this, this is very disappointing. I've never been in so much physical pain watching something. Now, I've, wait, is that because you've read the source material? Yeah, so I've read this. Well, and I understand that you can't, like, I yes, I've read the source material, but I also understand that you cannot perfectly ever recreate a novel into a film, whatever, right? But just, and not even that, just the trailer is way too long. Uh, it doesn't show people who have no clue what the dark tower is about are not going to care about the movie. It doesn't offer enough of a hook for you to want to see it. And then every little bit of action they show of Idris Elba is the same action sequence repeated until the very end. And so I just didn't, doesn't get me excited at all. Yeah. I love Idris Elba. Um, I, I want nothing but the best for him. Same thing for Matthew McConaughey. I just keep getting the sense that the McConaughey is over, <laughs> and we're just we're we're back to where we started again, essentially with him. Yeah. Um, this just looks like every Hollywood blockbuster, like literally every single one. I I don't see anything about this that is going to be, you know, exciting. Was there actually a thought that this was going to be good? 
Was I the only there one? There was that... a lot of pre-release hype before there was yeah, the trailer. Were really excited. Be- because I thought this had the kiss of death when we saw two two words: Akiva Goldsman. Oh my <laughs> God! Is he writing this? He wrote this. Yes. Oh. He's one of the four writers. That's another problem. They have four writers. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Akiva Goldsman's written some guilty pleasures of mine. Okay, because they're awful, but they're like really like crazy awful that I'm like, oh god, I gotta I gotta enjoy this. Um That's Oscar winner Akiva Goldsman. Yeah, well mm-hmm. Criterion released Armageddon, so not everybody gets it right hundred <laughs> percent. But yeah, um I I've learned that if his name is associated in any way, shape or form, go in expecting like the bar to be the lowest of the low. <laughs> yeah. I'm like really I'm like more scared than I was before uh, we started talking about this now. Now I'm like <laughs> horrified. Maybe maybe it'll be like Winter's Tale where it's just like holy shit, what the hell am I watching? I don't know whether this movie is just like knows it's stupid and thus I got to respect it or if it really thinks that it's intelligent. <laughs> He's already responsible for writing one of the worst films I've seen this year in Rings. I didn't I, I, see I that. just don't know how much worse it can get right now. <laughs> I really do feel bad for him. His wife passed away very suddenly in 2010. And I think since then, uh, from what I understand, when he did Winter's Tale and some of these other screenplays, he was was writing as a way of uh, expressing his grief and things like that. But these projects are just not good. Yeah, no. problem. No. Um, Winter's Tale is an abomination. Winter's Tale is a movie that I got all my friends... I described the plot to my friend... And he told me once, and this is, we laugh about it still. He's like, you just told me the plot of this movie and I want to punch you in the face. Um, so we watched it one day. It was me and him. I'm like, you have to see how weird as shit and bad this movie is. And he got about an hour in and he looked at me at a certain point and he said, what the hell is this? This is a movie that was greenlit. Like people read this and they thought this was good. He was just, he was flummoxed. By the end of it, his mouth was hanging open he was just he was he was traumatized um yeah so we have fun we have fun with that one <laughs> that's how i felt last year with collateral beauty oh like, you know i'm hey. kind of tempted to make my friend sit through that he'll kill me though if i make him sit through too bad akiva goldsman written movies oh no no no. Uh, he did not do collateral beauty but um the, the screenwriter that well did have. yeah <laughs> i mean it's 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 I'm not even going to waste a breath talking about that film. Uh, back to the Dark Tower. Um, meh. <laughs> that's that's all I got to say about that. Um, let's look ahead, though, to the near future. Uh, this weekend, we have King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, releasing in theaters, directed by Guy Ritchie and starring Charlie Hunnam. Mm-hmm. And this film is dealing in mostly with... Uh, folklore, mythology um, being translated as a means into the quote-unquote summer blockbuster, um, you know, and Guy Ritchie is to a certain extent kind of dilly-dabbled in this before. I mean, he took Sherlock Holmes and made uh, a, a blockbuster-esque film out of that, something that a lot of people kind of tilted their head at and was like, hey, you can't really do that. And yet he did, and the film was a big financial success. So... Josh is going to be uh, contributing uh, over for us here at Next Best Picture um, articles uh, that will actually talk about um, the theme of the week, as it were, which will always pertain to our new release for the weekend. So the theme for this week is mythology uh, within film and how that has been incorporated, how have you as a audience member responded to it. Um, there have been some very interesting ones and some really really bad ones so josh you're uh you, you know the new guy on the show here um you know when, when when you hear mythology in film what is a very good film you think and what is a really really shit film in your opinion um oh man i mean like you said earlier about how much you praise lord of the rings like lord of the rings is definitely one that comes into everybody's head when we talk about mythology, I think. Um, it definitely has all of the elements of kind of that quote-unquote medieval times and swords and bows and dragons and creatures fighting. Uh, so Lord of the Rings probably does it cinematically better than most other films. Um, 
I'm trying to think of some... I mean, there's a lot of bad myth- mythological movies. I would say the remake of Clash of the Titans is pretty bad. Ooh. Ooh. You know, I'm actually one of those uh, people in this world that does not believe that Troy is a terrible film. <laughs> I, I didn't think Troy was a terrible film when it came out, but then I got called bias in high school, so... I don't think Troy is awful either. I think it's all right. Yeah, but that would be that would be one I think that would fit the mold here. Oh, you know what's a really bad one that just came out last year? Gods of Egypt. Oh, or oh, um, Ridley Scott's uh, uh, da, 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 the one with Christian Exodus. Bale. Yes, thank you. That movie's horrible. Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, did you see Exodus? No, I oh did my not. God, <laughs> so bad. I'll stick to the Ten Commandments and my own Passover. Th- at- and my own Passover Seder, thank you very much. Yeah, Ten Commandments is great. Now, I was going to say, does Ten Commandments fall within uh, the guidelines here? Of I don't te- know. Quote, unquote, well, that's mythology? the thing. I don't normally know what our guidelines are. What are I was yeah, going to say, I guess, guidelines? are we basically calling the Bible fiction in a way? I mean, there are more there are more bad ones than good ones, I think. you know. I Now, why do you think that is? Because I think part of it is is that... The stories, I mean, you look at the Greek mythology, like the source material, they're essentially cautionary tales, <laughs> um, you know, and, and the, much like the Bible, which is why, you know, it's a sticky subject, much of it was you utilize this religion and showing why the world was the way it was, and it's just so silly now to us. You know, it's really difficult to make it not feel melodramatic. Troy to throw out one, if you watch the director's cut, not the theatrical version, they actually do, like, referencing gods in a way that's not, like, hammy. Um, whereas something like Immortals, which is a horrible, horrible movie, Ugh. is Ugh. is oh just God. playing it so serious. And it's, it's laughable. Yeah. Um, same with stuff like Excalibur movies, you know? It's really easy to make those look so silly. You know, you think of, like, Monty Python, The Holy Grail. That's why that movie works, because it's essentially making fun of the fact that the whole story of King Arthur is founded on a watery tart throwing a sword at people, um, to quote the film. Um, so, yeah, that that's my argument, is that I think we're just conditioned at this point to see them as silly. I mean, The Princess Bride works. It's a fantasy film. And it's got a mythology of its own, but it's not based in any type of, like, pre-existing religious stuff. That's a good example, though. I changed my mind. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. There you go. Am I allowed to say the Disney version of Hercules? Yes, I was going to say Hercules. Hercules would be the one that's mine. And even then, that movie is bad mostly because of how modern it is. Mm. Well, in that case, does that mean, like, things like Moana are in play? Because that's mythological... No, because that's bound. That's bound more in actual, like, concrete time and place. See, that's the thing. Like, you throw out stuff. Like, I think of mythological as like based on Greek, Roman, like actual fables and Mm -hmm. stories. Stuff that's been written down, as opposed to even though. And again, King Arthur's kind of wonky because there really was a person. The rest of it was just kind of like written later. So wait, would you say that like Lord of the Rings falls into that though? Because it's all oh, fictional? I would say yeah. Lord of the Rings is is a fantasy film. It's mythological. Yeah, I was gonna say okay. Because there's a world that's being built out by an actual writer. That's you know yes, you can found a religion on it. And people probably have, but yeah, it didn't start. I, I don't know. It's a really shaky definition that I'm sure people could argue different interpretations. Oh, I, I just thought of another one. Middle of the road. I don't love it. I don't hate it. But um, it definitely fits this to a T. Uh, Three hundred. Oh, okay. Ooh, there you yeah. Three hundred is good for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? If we're gonna say King Arthur, this new remake, what about uh, Camelot? I still have to see that. Hold on, wait a minute, Camelot. Why am I not remembering this one? Like the really bad Camelot, or the like musical? The... Oh, okay. Oh. Hey, I thought we're, I thought we were talking about Julie Andrews or not Julie Andrews, Vanessa Redgrave and uh, Richard Harris. Yeah, me too. <laughs> The Broadway one was Julie Andrews and Richard Burton. Richard Burton, the yeah. Was, then the film was Vanessa Redgrave and Richard Harris. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I get. I don't know. I haven't seen the musical. Like, do we like? There's so many. There's so many ones I could throw out, but I don't really know if they can form. Like Labyrinth. Do we consider Labyrinth a that's mythological like a, yeah, movie? I mean, that's like fan. It's it, there's a fine line between like fantasy and mythological. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is that fantasy and mythological tend to blend. Yeah. Oh, well, then what about, uh, say, anything based on Robin Hood? 
It's, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, yeah, it's like fantasy. I don't know if Robin Hood's mm. like a myth. Oh, that yeah, That's fine. Movie. And Okay, I'll throw one more out there then, and then I think I've run out of examples. Um, <laughs> the Brendan Fraser Mummy series. See, I don't consider that myth because uh, my, it's it's not based on any type of folklore. Yeah, I'm kind of with Kristen. the the whole The whole like myth, the whole mythological subset, uh, though Greek and Roman is like the easiest thing to base it off of. I would say there has to be like a set pre-material that says like, oh, this was once believed in as like a story that people would tell to people yeah so this was like, like passed down yeah, robin so hood i like, could argue a bit better yeah so things like troy with like the achilles heel and like clash of the titans with the kraken yeah. and like things like that like, yeah that makes more sense okay that makes that does make more sense so in that case if we're going off that could we say like certain horror films could be, fall under that category because there are horror films that are made that are based off of like fables and mm. stories i still think it has to be set in a time long long ago okay but that would just be my my argument. But that's very interesting, though, there, Josh. Um, horror films that are based, yeah, on myth that would that would apply. I'm just I'm just struggling right now to think of. I'm one trying to think of the issue. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Like Blair Witch Project, almost. Yeah, almost. Wow. We're like, we're yeah, getting there, there you go. Yeah. Like there, I mean, there's movie. Like there's a lot. There's a La Llorona movie, but like I'm sure the movie's horrible. But like something like that, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. I'm sure there's uh, somebody on the other end listening to this right now that's screaming. They yeah. didn't mention ah, you know, whatever. Ah they didn't mention is. Legend. <laughs> <laughs> Throw out Tom Cruise or what is it? The Last Unicorn. Woody Allen's Mighty Aphrodite. <laughs> Don't even bring that movie up in front of me. Oh, man. You have a Greek chorus narrating the movie. Doesn't get more mythological than that. Bravo to you, sir. That's Bravo. That's suggestion of the night. Show's over. (laughs) And you know what? It truly is over. Uh, That's all we have for you uh, this week. Um, Josh, I hope your one and done was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, it was great. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're never bringing you back, ever. Yes, good. Good. We had too much fun. <laughs> but uh, before you uh, make your exit uh, from the Next Best Picture podcast, why don't you tell everybody, Josh, where they can find you on the internet? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Josh underscore Williams 09, and you can hear all of my film thoughts, Oscar thoughts, and other miscellaneous day-to-day life thoughts and tips. <laughs> Alrighty, Kristen Lopez. I am on Twitter at Journeys underscore film. And Michael. As always, on Twitter at MikeMovie. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to episode 37 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, and Player FM. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you all next time. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.